to NeuroPodcases. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, my name is Sarah Healy. I'm one of the neurology registrars working at the Walton Centre. And I'm here with Dr Mills, one of the consultant neuroradiologists who's kindly going to talk through a case with us today and some of the images associated. I'll just start with the history. So a 47-year-old woman presents to A&E with a sudden onset headache. The pain is the worst she's ever felt and it came on over the course of a minute. She has no past medical history and smokes 20 a day. On examination, she's covering her eyes from light and is feeling nauseated and complaining of neck pain as well as the headache. But her examination is otherwise normal. But she is slow to respond to commands and appears drowsy. Based on this clinical picture, the A&E doctors are concerned about a subarachnoid haemorrhage and request a CT head. So, Dr. Mills, would you mind talking us through the CT head and, if, if you're happy as well, how, how the subarachnoid space is defined? Yeah. So, so this is a, a non-contrast, so it's just a plain CT head of the, of the brain. And I'll scroll through the images now. And we've got a lot of white signal here, um, which is hyperattenuating, which means it's very dense. And this is acute blood, and it's filling the subarachnoid space. Now, this is the space that's between the arachnoid and the pier. Um, and often the blood collects more in the basal systems if the patient's upright, especially because it's a bit gravity dependent. But we can see here that we've got a lot of um, white stuff lining around the circle of Willis. And as we go up this very extensive subarachnoid, this we've got extensive blood also going into the sylvium fissures, extending into the parafalcine space as well. And this is a very um, extensive subarachnoid hemorrhage. Okay. So, so why is a CT head such a good investigation when considering a subarachnoid haemorrhage? Um, are there any factors to take into account when interpreting, in, when interpreting a CT head requested for a possible subarach? So, so the first thing I would say is CT is readily available. Every single A&E department has access to a CT scanner and rapid access. So they can get round the A&E department to the CT scanner, usually within minutes. The scan itself is also very quick. It doesn't take very long to do. Unlike MR examinations, which are much more timely, a CT can be performed rapidly in a few seconds. So it's a really good environment for sick patients as well. Um, Hyperacute blood is very dense, as we can see on this scan, and that means it's really easy to spot on a CT scan. Um, and it's not the case with MR. It's more challenging to see the blood sometimes on that. It's really good for trauma too, because you can identify if there's um, fractures on there, so you're picking up other signs of injury. So it's really important when you're um, doing a CT scan for subarachnoid hemorrhage, you have to know whether there is any history of trauma. If the patient's collapsed, what came first? Did they collapse and then bang their head? Or was it a simple faint they bang their head and it's trauma and the subarachnoid blood is traumatic? Or is it coming from another source? Is there any family history that might make you think of an underlying cause of the blood? Are there family histories of aneurysms? Is the patient a smoker or are they hypertensive? And certainly drugs is also an important thing to think about, cocaine especially. Right, okay. So as you mentioned, MRI is less useful for, for this condition, but are there any other case, are there any other scans that would be particularly useful at this point? So here we can see in this patient, they've got extensive subarachnoid hemorrhage. Now, given the distribution of the blood, it's so dense and everyone It's a youngish patient. She's just in her late 40s, early 50s. Um, you've got to start thinking about, well, why has she had this? One of the reasons we're thinking about is aneurysm. So what we can do is something called a CT angiogram. And if I just show you another image here, what we do with a CT angiogram 
is we put a cannula into the arm, into the vein, and we inject a bolus of contrast. So it's a big injection of contrast medium. And it's timed so that you will get the contrast. So it's at maximum level within the arterial system. And that shows up the arteries really nicely. And this is, um, we can see the patient here, that the arteries are now very white because they're filled with the contrast, which is iodine. And we can see that there is an aneurysm here of the anterior communicating artery. And that's almost certainly the source of this lady's bleed. Okay, fantastic. So, so you mentioned already some clinical features that make uh, a risk of rupture of an aneurysm more likely, so smoking and hypertension. Are there anything from a radiological, is there anything from a radiological perspective that you consider when you're thinking about risk of aneurysm rupture? So, so the location of the aneurysm is very important. Obviously, if the aneurysm is properly intracranial, it's more likely to rupture rather than something that is perhaps lower down sat in the carotid siphon or something like that. So this is an intracranial aneurysm of the anterior communicating artery. The other thing about this aneurysm is very big. Okay, The larger the aneurysm is, the greater the chance it will rupture in a patient's lifetime. Um, so for patients who've got very small aneurysms, um, who perhaps aren't, don't warrant treatment, they've not ruptured, and the patient's quite well, and you don't want to treat them yet, we do surveillance imaging for them to see if the aneurysm changes. And if the aneurysm is getting bigger, the interventional neuroradiologist may want to intervene at that point. Okay. So in terms of further imaging at this point, would you suggest a DSA, or, or is there any further input aside from the interventional radiologists uh, from the radiology department at this point, Dr Mills? What do you think? So so the first thing we would do is this investigation here, which is the CTA, and I think that was also done in the patient's local hospital rather than the tertiary referral centre. Sometimes they'll come over to Walton first with a subarachnoid hemorrhage, and then they'll have the CTA in our unit. Um, but we've got a good quality investigation here. It's very useful to have a CTA, although you can't treat on that, because it will guide the interventionalist to where the problem is, so they can do a more targeted approach when they do a proper digital subtraction angiogram. The advantage of doing that, of course, is they can treat at the same time um, because they can put the catheters in and then deploy coils and fill the aneurysm and occlude it. So it, it, whereas just a CTA will help you diagnose, but you can't treat based on that because obviously you're not actually in the aneurysm itself. After it's been treated to check that it's occluded, we can go on and use the more complicated imaging techniques such as MR. That's fantastic. So thanks very much for your time, Dr. Mills. Um, the video for this podcast will be available on the Neuropodcases website um, to look at the images yourself and see what Dr. Mills has been describing for us. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly.